0: Hello and welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a lot of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, one of your hosts. My name is John Steinberg, joined in tandem by my estimable co-host who goes by the name of
1: Santino Maione, guys, back again for another phenomenal episode of Visionaries. We are going to kick it off, as we always do, with our words to live by. John picked the quote for this week. I'm going to read it off for you guys so the listeners can get a feel for what the quote is. And then, John, you can elaborate and explain to myself and the listeners why you wanted to select this specific quote for today's episode. So here's the quote. Nobody sees a flower, really. It is so small that it takes time. We haven't time, and to see takes time, like to have a friend takes time. And that is by Georgia, I believe her, uh, her last name, O'Keefe. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Why did you want to select that quote for this episode, John?
0: So this is one of my favorite artists in any sphere of uh, of the medium. A real maverick, if you want to use sort of a um, an applicable term. And I thought this quote was fascinating for a multitude of reasons. Number one, it dives directly into this notion of, hey, we have our mortality to think about. We have a very, we don't have enough time to accomplish everything that we would like to accomplish in life. We have time, however, to do some things. We can make a friend. We can make an impact, we can choose a career, but we just don't have enough time on this planet to be able to go through everything we had absolutely always wanted to do full stop. We just don't have enough time. Every single aspect of time or of life chips away at that minimal amount of time that we all have and we all are unsure about when it's going to come to an end so by comparing it to a flower like okay well a flower has a shelf life you know a flower starts to wilt after a period and then ultimately a flower dies so what are your flowers going to be the things that you do devote that short amount of time which you have on this earth into and be smart about those be selective about those georgia o'keefe someone who spent the entire and she lived to be like 99 years old but someone who spent the entire second half of her life pretty well isolated in new mexico Uh, living on a farmstead. She'd previously been like a city person. Her husband was a New Yorker and they lived in the New York area. However, after her marriage went awry and her husband passed, it seemed like she made the decision to move to New Mexico and devote her remaining time uh, to her art and to experiencing a genuine life outside of the uber intellectual posh circles that she'd been traveling in with her first husband so i found this quote interesting on a lot of levels because it gets at this idea of we only have so much time on this planet and how are we going to choose to use it
1: yeah honestly it was When I first saw the quote, I was just kind of, I had to, I had to do a double take. I had to read it a second time and go, wait, 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 what was that trying to, what was that trying to say to me? Because there was a lot to unpack in it, even though it was a relatively short quote, it wasn't like it was super, super long with like complex wording or anything. It was so simple yet so complex in its simplicity, if that makes sense. And the thing that I took away from it the most, and when reading the quote over a few times, the thing that I took away most from this quote. It was just to make the most of the time that we have. Time is fleeting. We don't have a lot of it. And you want to be able to make the most of the time that you have and accomplish everything that you possibly can. And don't take for granted what you do accomplish, what you do have in life, and what you receive in life overall. Just don't take for granted what you get in the time that you have. That's what I mainly took away from it in kind of unpacking everything that was said, taking the analogies and the metaphors of the flower and how the time that a flower has is fleeting and all that kind of stuff you come to, or at least I came to the conclusion. It's mainly about not taking for granted the time that we have and being able to fully appreciate everything that life has to offer within the time that we are given.
0: I think so. I think so. There's a million reasons On a daily basis that will crop up and propel you down a path toward feeling isolated, feeling cynical, feeling depressed about where you happen to be in life. But rather than that, if you can get beyond that, look ahead to what's within your power to control Um, because time is the great equalizer. No one knows how much they have remaining have left and uh, it takes time to do anything worthwhile. So make wise decisions with your time.
1: 100% definitely agree with you there. Moving on to our next segment, handprints hall of fame, John, we usually induct a person during this segment. I made a little bit of a change this week. I wanted to induct an organization, if you will, uh, beacon of hope in terms of the way that you've talked about this organization before is what I see this as. The Hatland Center for the Blind is going to be our latest inductee into our illustrious Handprints Hall of Fame. John, you are somebody that has had personal experiences with the Hatland Center. They have helped you so much in your endeavors after your diagnosis that you went fully blind at the age of 35. They have been there step by step with you, helping you to to cope and manage with the diagnosis that you were given talk about what the hatland center means to you and why you feel even they are a deserving inductee into our hamperance hall of fame because i certainly believe they are worthy of this induction well when
0: people hear the words government program i think it turns a lot of them cynical into oh that sounds like a waste of government resources to just spend that on some bogus program that no one's gonna, you know, be involved in and, and how much are they really doing? But really, when you do hear about social programs, be they stuff like Michelle Obama's baby, uh, the Head Start program, any number of them, the best possible ones are those that have the ability to change lives for real, not just in the abstract. So again, Uh, As somebody who already had an undergraduate and a graduate degree coming into a place like the Hatland Center, uh, where it's an organization based in Northern California. The parent company is Wayfinder Family Services, and they are designed to provide students with visual impairments with the ability to lead a more independent life. So for me, as somebody who I've mentioned before, was so terrified and skillless that I couldn't take the bus from the campus at St. Mary's to the local BART station. Uh, they improved my life immeasurably, taught me how to use the cane, taught me how to use the assistive technology that's allowing me to participate in this podcast. Uh, I mean, really changing lives, if that is the stated goal of social programs that we put forth in this country, then I would hope that all of them have students or people that have passed through the program that can talk about it in the glowing terms that I reserve in order to talk about the Hatland Center, a truly magical place that is providing those that need help the most with that help. And I was a little bit surprised when uh, you told me about this being the latest inductee into the Handprints Hall of Fame, because it's difficult to see um, I guess a flurry of office workers and buildings uh, placing their palms into the ground outside Gramman's Chinese Theater, but be that as it may, we are so thrilled to be able to enshrine the Hatland Center based in San Pablo, Northern California into the handprints hall of fame
1: yeah initially when i went to select it i had that same kind of thought of being like well how feasible is that kind of of you know we like to portray that image of imagine them kneeling down again placing their hands in the dirt enshrining themselves forever and it was you know initially in my head i was like well yeah i mean it is the havent center it's a group of people how i guess believable would that be but I kind of steered away from that and went to more the overarching point of Handprints Hall of Fame and and, and inducting people into the segment is the whole point of of why we do the segment is to highlight people who have had extraordinary achievements and have had an extraordinary impact on the world at large. And when I looked at it from that point of view, I was like, you know what? We've never done an organization. We've never done a group of people. If you want to say that, like, if you want to use that terminology, we've never done that kind of thing before. And I said, you know what, for the first time we're going to do it. Why not let, let it be the Hatland center because again, it's a personal connection with one of the co-hosts, obviously John Steinberg, there's a, there's a personal relationship to John. And again, Not just John, but they've helped so many people in their endeavors and what they've been able to do over the years. So I figured for making this kind of shift a little bit and inducting an organization, who else would it be rather than the Hatland Center? I think it was a great selection. I hope you, you know, I, I hope you initially, obviously being like, oh, wow, kind of like surprised. I hope that you were at the end of the day, happy and pleased with the induction that we made, because I think overall, it was a good decision to kind of make that shift from one individual person to a group of people at large, like the Hatland Center.
0: Definitely. And, you know, I know like we're approaching an election cycle and oftentimes it's programs such as the Hatland Center that get lumped in with, uh, by craven politicians as being something like pork. Like, oh, this bill has so much pork in it and all these programs that don't do anything. And I'm here to tell you uh, that's a misnomer. And a lot of these programs do have a truly sizable impact of the li- uh, in the lives of those uh, that participate in them. So they're not just pork. It's not a political football. Um, we as a country should be proud of the way in which we oftentimes treat uh, those with disabilities and um, have programs designed to help them get the most out of their lives?
1: 100 percent. We'll move on to our next segment, though Profiles and Courage, where we either bring on a guest in each episode or John and I will engage in different discussions each episode, topics that we feel need more coverage and discussion. John, I know that you had a specific topic you wanted to cover in this episode. Tell our listeners what we're going to talk about today. Well, we're going to be looking at the idea
0: of those that take advantage of the kindness of others, and we're going to be looking at it through the prism of the Oscar Pistorius story. So we are now in a societal moment when you have, like on Netflix, you had Inventing Anna, you had We Crashed on Apple, Super Pumped on Showtime. You have a litany of shows that kind of glorify con people a bit. And when I heard about Oscar Pistorius, that wasn't my initial reaction. Oscar Pistorius, uh, for those that don't remember, is uh, the South African sprinter um, who did not have the use of um, his lower extremities. So blades um, were attached and... um, He was known as the Blade Runner, uh, an Olympic sprinter. He wound up becoming one of the most famous Olympians of all time, definitely uh, in the social media era, along with people like Usain Bolt and uh, Michael Phelps. Oscar Pistorius was right there. He just had this truly inspiring story of, you know, a kid – born without use of his legs, who fought against everything and conquered all in order to become the best sprinter in the nation of South Africa. And then that translated onto the international stage. And he inspired a planet, planet Earth, with what he was able to do. And then we get to Valentine's Day in 2012, where he shot his girlfriend uh, five times while she was locked in the bathroom of the apartment where they were living. And it's it shocked a lot of people. And there was great reason for it to shock. This was the golden boy, the one who brought... The nation of South Africa, one, mired in a terrible historic reputation, one of the most racist countries on the planet, we can thank them for decades of awful, awful practices like apartheid. And here we had an incredibly inspiring story that would wash all of that problematic, Behavior into the recesses of the past. And yet, as it turned out, Oscar Pistorius was as bad as anyone. Though he claims that he heard an intruder coming into the house and believed that his life was in danger, and that's why he fired the five shots into the bathroom. We then would later find out through a Fairly well chronicled court case that Pistorius dealt with issues of substance abuse. He was a steroid user. He had a history of volatile, shall we say, relationships with his female partners and a portrait kind of came to the surface that of someone who's a sociopath. And so an entire nation, the nation of South Africa, then an entire world, everyone that had fallen in love with Pistorius in the beginning began to question the authenticity of those feelings and of Oscar Pistorius writ large. So I wanted to address this Because it's come up a lot in culture. Some of the examples I mentioned, um, it's an era rife with con people or scammers. There's a great podcast on right now called Scamfluencers. uh, Confidence men, grifters, people that use the kind nature of others to their advantage, that take advantage of people being nice to them and doing, wanting to do things for them, wanting to do the right thing. And Oscar Pistorius is the worst example of this. But I also thought about, there was the show The Act a couple years ago that came out on FX with uh, Patricia Arquette, chronicling the story of Gypsy Rose Blanchard and the murder of her mother, Dee Dee. And in that case... It was a young girl who wasn't really stricken with any ailment, but had a mother who was determined to perpetuate this scheme where she kept presenting her daughter as incredibly sick and incredibly sick. And organizations stepped in to try to help the Blanchards, providing them with travel expenses, with a house They were given a house by an organization and uh, all that turned out to be uh, a lie as well. And I just want to get to this idea of, look, people with disabilities are not without faults, of course. People with disabilities can still be sociopaths, scammers, selfish, and interested in only things that revolve around them. And uh, so as I kind of lay out this case here for, hey, look, we want to treat the disabled community with the utmost respect, and we would like to do everything that we can, a la the Hatland Center, to help them. We do have to recognize that there are people in the world that, see those opportunities as ways to take advantage of the system.
1: Yeah, and I think a big thing too that you brought up, because we talked about this on respect and representation in the media before, about looking at certain movies and shows and just pieces of media in general that represent or that portray the disabled community as people that can do no wrong people that have no flaws no vices like i i, I totally am blanking on the name or is it was it in the uh, in the dark or is, uh, I, yes in the
0: dark uh-huh yeah with murph with murphy yeah yes
1: have we talked about the fact that she has a she smokes cigarettes she is an alcoholic same thing in um how am i oh uh, uh same thing in sense of a woman or al pacino's character again an alcoholic these are not perfect people, and they have flaws, vices, different little quirks, or or excuse me, quirks, like every other person in the world does. So overall, the one thing I think we need to point out here is that it is completely, I don't want to say normal, but like, this is almost a good example to show that, listen, the people in the disabled community are not perfect. Just because somebody has a disability, whether it be they they you know they, they don't have legs, they have to get their legs amputated, deaf, blindness, whatever it may be, these are not the perfect examples of what people are, and they are not going to be the purest form of a human being. And that's not a that's not a bad thing. It means they're human, like like they're supposed to be, if you know, if that makes sense. So, I don't think. Well, yes, what obviously what Oscar Pistorius did was not good in any sense of the word. It's a good example to show, listen, just because they're disabled does not mean they don't have, I guess, I don't want to say things wrong with them, but that doesn't mean they don't have, again, I'm going to use the same kind of words, flaws or vices, like any other human being does on this planet. That's the kind of point that I think this really does bring across. And, and like you said, in terms of being a scammer, being able to kind of like mess with people being able to con people that kind of thing just because the people are disabled doesn't mean that they 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 won't do that or are not capable of doing that either it doesn't mean they're the perfect person and they're, and, they're, and you know they're not going to be a devious scheming person and they're not going to try to pull one over on you pull a fast one if you will so i think that's where okay it's a good example to show us and the listeners this, this can happen with with somebody who is disabled. They're not perfect.
0: Right. And when we study the Oscar Pistorius case, ultimately, at least the conclusion that I came to was the guy began to think that he was invincible. Yeah, he's in his mid-20s by the time he uh, wound up uh, killing his girlfriend. And you have to imagine that for probably the last like seven years of his life, it was universal praise from basically everyone that he encountered on a near daily basis. Everyone who met Oscar Pistorius probably expressed adoration for him, told him what an inspirational guy he was, how impressed with what he was able to do. uh, They truly were. And all that went to his head. It, it went to his head like it does with a child star who gains success way too early in life before they have the opportunity to form their own unique personalities. Their growth is stilted, it's stunted by them being perceived by basically everyone in one specific Way, So that by the time that awful day, Valentine's Day, came about, he genuinely believed that he was going to get away with it. That he could just lock his girlfriend in a bathroom and shoot her five times and he would have enough goodwill bred within the larger society that he would get away with it. They would believe whatever he chose to say. And so, yeah, I think what we're getting at here is these are... Disabled people are not cute, cuddly pandas. They're human beings with flaws, foibles, and points where their actions lead them astray like everyone else. So So
1: I'm curious... Sorry to interrupt you. I'm curious because you mentioned something. You mentioned something that piques my curiosity. Do you think maybe, in, like, I mean, you kind of alluded to this, but in Oscar's head, do you think that partly because of because of the fact that he was disabled and the and because that kind of changed the way that society perceived him, do you think that he believed that his disability would almost protect him and allow him to get away with it, like almost using his disability to protect himself from the consequences. Do you think that might've been going, I mean, that's obviously it's hard to read into his mind, but do you think that that might've been going through his head that because of the portrayal of how people viewed him due to his disability and the, 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 the triumphs and tribulations he had to overcome, do you think that that gave him the illusion that he could get away with it?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: They hadn't seen
0: the rampant steroid use. They hadn't seen the previous relationships that he'd been in that got physical with uh, with other women. Uh, they hadn't seen the bottles of alcohol that he'd consume. All they saw was the guy bringing glory to their country, battling through the odds. So yeah, I think he believed himself to be invincible uh, beyond reproach. No one could d- take him down. He was Blade Runner, most famous athlete in that country and he had a disability and look at what he did with that disability and how could this guy it's like that thing i so often hear on true crime podcasts or episodes of dateline where it'll be somebody who knows the person who has been accused of the crime and the way that they defend their friend will be I just I just don't think they're capable of it. I don't think they're capable of it. I couldn't see it. It's like, well, that's not really an argument. Anyone is basically capable of anything. Like just there's nothing stopping anyone from anything. So this idea of uh, th- he wasn't capable, wasn't that kind of person. Well, okay, that you saw, you know, maybe around you, but that person could also get super super aggro crazy mad at points and maybe they made one really bad decision so yes the disability in the case of Oscar Pistorius did sort of inoculate him to criticism and he believed it's pretty clear there's this four-part uh docuseries on Amazon that I watched it's just called Pistorius I would recommend it for folks and uh we more or less see that that on or right around the day um, that he murdered uh, Reva Steenkamp, his girlfriend, they had been talking about the Kendrick Lamar song, uh, B, Don't Kill My Vibe. And he was mentioning, like, you do this all the time. Like, these text messages were right in court mentioning, like, oh, you, you do this all the time and I feel this way and blah, 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 blah. So people don't see that. All they see is the Blade Runner, the Olympian, the guy that brought glory to a nation, forever embroiled in controversy. He almost got away with murder. He believed he would get away with murder. It got close. I mean, it was he almost did get away with murder.
1: Yeah. And that's the crazy thing, honestly, is that he, again, through that almost image that he had cultivated – he was able to get away with it. And that's really the sad part is, or I just say almost get away with it. And that's the sad part too, is that he took an image that had been cultivated over so much time and had taken a story that was to, 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 to so many, again, was a story of overcoming challenges, overcoming obstacles in your life and being able to get to the mountaintop. And then it all comes crumbling down because of that one decision he made because he thought he was invincible. And that's where, again, it's important for people to realize that the disabled community, like you said, I think you said it perfectly. They're not cuddly, cute pandas. They're not these like little cute, tiny animals that we have to like kind of nurture and coddle and all that kind of stuff. They are people just like everybody else. And they can, they are capable of, we see this, they're capable of things such as things that such, such as the act that Oscar Pistorius did. So that's I think the key message takeaway here. But moving on to respect and representation in the media, I want to get into the movie that I had selected for this week. It's called If I Had Wings, and this is a movie that actually it's it's funny that we had Oscar's story is talking about him and profiles and courage, and then we have here If I Had Wings talking about uh, a blind kid who wants to be a ru- who um who wants to be a runner, but he needs a running partner, and he teams up with a troubled uh, uh kid who's a troubled youth in a bid to win race and this is a movie I think it's funny that again Oscar Pistorius who was a runner it kind of ties in there but initial thoughts for you John what did you think of the movie I know had you seen it before Have you heard of it before before Uh, I had mentioned it for the segment like what did you think
0: no I hadn't and uh I was very impressed by the amount of songs that sound a great deal like Mumford and Sons but I don't think are Uh, a very interesting. um, Yeah. Kind of, kind of rocking, uh, rollicking soundtrack. Some uh, recognizable faces. One that I recognize anyway, Craig Bierko who was the main character in the Larry David movie, sour grapes. Great to see him still uh, working. Um, But with respect to why we have this category and why the movie was selected, Yeah, we get great examples here of, you know, these types of situations where maybe folks have gone a little bit astray in life, being given a second chance to help someone do something that many think is entirely either impossible or at the very least so difficult that it would take all your time to even make it kind of happen and uh, it's one of those okay I'll be honest when I heard the title I went that sounds like a made-for-Disney movie from 1994 but it's not it's actually got a lot of heart it's got a lot of gumption and uh, the story that it tells is uh, really important and inspiring Uh, Great performances all around. Uh, Yeah, I I thought that this was one that I would recommend, yeah, to parents of, you know, kids with disabilities. um, Showing them, uh, if I had wings, to let them see what uh, truly is possible when you are committed enough to something.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I want to talk about too, like the film, it did a very good job, I think. Um, it achieved a good level of credibility because the main character and some of the less likable characters, like the hero has his faults in the movie. The characters have a mix of traits, both good and bad. I think that the character development throughout the film is very, very good. We get to see the two main characters kind of grow alongside each other. You get to see um, just the, the the heartwarming film itself of seeing the, the, this kid overcome a disability, it did a great job of like having tolerance and like, um, having respect, I should say, for people within all kinds of different cultures, race, and again, a level of different abilities. So I think it, it hit all the right notes. It did a really good job of representing the disabled community. And again, all different cultures and all different races around the world. It, it represented everybody extremely, extremely well in the film. And that's part of the reason I wanted to select it because after watching it, That's what hit me the most was the fact they did, again, our segment, Respect and Representation. I thought the representation aspect, they did a phenomenal job of making sure that the way they represented the disabled community and everybody in the film was accurate and it was just respectful.
0: Totally agree. And there was a version of this movie that could have come out in the 90s piggybacking on, well, I guess it's unfortunate to even say his name now. But piggybacking on um, I Believe I Can Fly type song, you know, and playing that during those really inspirational moments. But yeah. the film doesn't go there. Um, it doesn't turn into that kind of cheese fest. It is a really considered, thoughtful depiction of, yeah, someone who truly wants to be the best At what he does which is the running uh, in spite of the blindness and um, you know the kid from the uh, mm, wrong side of the tracks if you will uh, who comes in uh, to help these stories do happen Um, there's a tendency in popular culture and I'm as guilty of it as anyone To look for the kind of cynical, oh, jaded, we've seen this all before, let's be the most clever possible in our storytelling. There's a tendency to kind of seek those out, but we need movies like this. We do. We need movies like this to remind us that that's what we're going for here. Like Movies are designed to captivate people. It's entertainment. It can... Delight, scare, frighten, terrify, but also it can compel imitative behavior, which might help you become a better version of yourself. So in watching this, if this teenager isn't complaining about his eyesight, and he merely wants to be the best runner that he can be, then... Um, I mean, why is anybody else complaining? Uh, so, a a really great choice, Santino. One, yes, that I had not heard of. I was dubious when I saw the title, as I mentioned, but when I actually watched the film from end to end, I immediately said, you know, I'm I'm really glad that they make movies like this. This this is part of the reason why movies exist. Period.
1: Hundred percent. And two, one uh, one thing I'll mention before we go on to our final segment of the show they did a really good job of not uh, reducing the disability aspect to just being a plot point, to just kind of furthering the plot of the movie along. They did a really good job of emphasizing it and making it, you know, be be a full story throughout the entire movie. It wasn't just kind of there and thrown in as like a joke or as again something to just further the plot along. Because it wasn't even just like there was one plot point. There were so many different angles throughout the movie. So I think overall, again, it just did a really good job of. Representing the disabled community and not making it into this kind of like oh we'll just throw it in here at certain points and just kind of make it this side thing that people kind of notice and they'll say oh yeah there there was this part with the you know with this guy who had a, was a blind runner whatever they made it the focal point of the movie which I really appreciated. However, yeah, What were you gonna say?
0: No, no, no. I was gonna say um, I was very impressed by the film and think that people should seek it out. I, I found it on you know Amazon Prime, but. I, I definitely think that it is, uh, you know, a thumbs up, and people should check this one out if they can.
1: Definitely agree agree with you there. Moving on to the final segment of our show today, though, we have connecting the dots. As always, John, what are you going to tell our listeners about today?
0: So we talked a bit about kind of con people. We talked. We spent a great deal of time in discussions around Oscar Pistorius. Ah Dede Blancher, Gypsy Rose Blancher, people taking advantage of a situation for their own selfish means. And um, I have done this too, And uh, I don't feel great about it, but let me explain. So in Los Angeles, there is this really wonderful uh, venue. It's called the Form. the uh, Kia Form used to be called the Great Western Form. Famously, uh, the home court of the Los Angeles Lakers during the Showtime era and for the first like three seasons of uh, Kobe Bryant and Shaq together before they moved to Staples Center. So I went through a period. I went to four concerts in like six weeks at the Forum and I had this quote-unquote scheme where I would just get a ticket like it could be the last ticket in Section 1000 up in the mezzanine and I would go with a friend to their guest services area and say uh, I'd like to swap out this ticket for an ADA supported ticket and for the first couple times, they didn't really know what to do. They didn't really kind of know what, it was clear that practices, um, internal practices had not been labeled company policy, like this is what we do always. Anytime there's an ADA request, we do this. For whatever reason, you know, they asked, okay, well, what, where would you like to sit? And I said, well, I, I can hear it close. You know, when I'm the closest, I can hear it the best, you know, cause it's all about hearing. So they would literally put me like, right, kind of in the front. And I did this like four times within, you know, a six week period. And I felt terrible about it. Ultimately it wasn't hurting anyone necessarily except for me because I didn't deserve that and I didn't deserve to put someone else in that position where just because they don't want to offend a disabled person or look bad, you know, by denying a a disabled person, I took advantage of a situation that I shouldn't have. Now, uh, a couple years later, it does seem like pretty widely that there is um just you uni- uh an industry standard for this type of stuff where uh if you have a ticket to an event then you can swap it out for an ada ticket in that same section and they'll put you um yeah in kind of like uh, a handicapped area not literally in the front of the whole venue so This is me, you know, confessing that at times, um, I have also been guilty of taking advantage of my disability and yeah, by now I, I feel terrible about it and, um, it's not something that I do anymore, but for a long time I did think, Hey, I'm the one that has the blindness. Like, So what gives, you know, and that's a really selfish, self-centered way of thinking. What do I matter in the grand scheme of things? That's a concert venue with 15,000 other people. Why do I deserve special treatment? Just because of something I was born with. Now, adequate, you know, seating so that you're comfortable and you're not getting trampled upon like that makes sense, and that's why that does now exist in the ADA sections at, at for the last you know x amount of years, since I unfortunately uh, came up with that scheme, I just, you know, get a ticket and sit where that ticket says I'm seating. Uh, I'm sitting. so uh, even even I can sometimes be guilty of taking advantage. Of something uh, that I shouldn't be taking advantage of and um, I know that I'm not the only one that does this and um, I just want to have a clearer head about things going forward really a growing a story of uh, like it's like a maturity story a growing story it took however long it took for me to see that the event is Not at all about me, not in the slightest. So play it as it lies, basically. So I tell this story to illustrate that even, you know, the the people that are quote unquote, whatever, the good guys can still fall short sometimes. And um, the best that you can hope to do is learn from that experience And uh, improve the behavior in the future.
1: I think it's a great story, though. It fits uh, the theme of what we talked about today, again, with the Oscar Pistorius story and talking about having that discussion for Profiles and Courage. I think it is a good story to share. It just reemphasizes the points we were making earlier that, again... The people that are perceived as I'm saying this like almost an air quotes, hopefully you can tell them by my tone, but the good guys like that kind of whole narrative, I guess, that is put out there and the ones that can do no wrong, that kind of thing that, yes, like you said, even sometimes those those guys fall short and it's nothing that uh, any any other human being wouldn't do. And it's just reemphasizing the point that, okay we're human. Maybe we we make mistakes. Sometimes we make decisions that maybe we're not the most proud of in the moment. And even on reflection at the end of the day, it just shows that we're all human, regardless of what everyone's dealing with. That's the point that I think it reemphasizes and it fits the theme of the show kind of. Definitely. Yeah. That's going to wrap up this episode of visionaries. Thank you, John, for telling that story. If you guys are not following us on our Instagram at visionaries underscore podcast, what are you guys doing? Go give us a follow on there. Give us, send us a message, uh, DM us, anything you want us to talk about. We'd be uh, happy to hear from you guys, and we'd appreciate any input that you guys have on this show. Thank you guys so much for listening to another great episode of Visionaries. We'll be back again next week. We'll see you guys next time.
0: Talk to you soon.